Hello, everyone. This is Hashia Soroka, and you're listening to Ask the Therapist. Tonight on our program, we have Elisheva Perry. Elisheva is a licensed clinical social worker. She's a school social worker at Shalom School for Girls, and she is in private practice in Brooklyn, and she works with children, adolescents, and adults. Elisheva, welcome. Thank you. My pleasure um, to be here. Thanks for being here. And um, it's that time of year again. Everyone's, uh, I mean, as sad as it is, everyone's heading back to school. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of feelings going around maybe, especially, you know, both for kids and parents, nervousness, excitement. For some kids, maybe dread, and for some parents, maybe more excitement. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you work in a school, and, um, you know, I really wanted to get your take on, you know, what are some, what are some ways that we can um, prepare kids, prepare parents, about this upcoming school year, um, ways to make their school year more successful, um, you know, and, and things, that, things that might be helpful for parents to know going into this new year. Yes, definitely. So, um, it's always an adjustment, you know, anything new. And for some children, it could be just a new school year um, with a new teacher, a new classroom. For some children, it might be a new school completely. Um, and that's a tremendous adjustment if they're going from preschool to elementary school or elementary school to junior high school. These are all major transitions. And uh, being on vacation for eight to ten weeks, it, it makes that it's nice and it makes it that much more challenging probably to get back into that, um, into that mode. So I think it's a shared experience for many. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember myself feeling sort of some back to school blues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can I can acknowledge that feeling as a adult. <laughs> back to school is <laughs> looming around the corner, but um, once you're there, you know you're back into it, and it's great. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah, I do think it's helpful for students for children to be prepared and for parents to have a couple tools in their toolkit and and sort of jump-starting the school year um, on a positive a note as possible. Yeah. So Um, what, what would you suggest? I mean, what do you see or what do you, what do you think are are really um, the things that you would want to highlight for a parent um, going in to the school year? Um. So school is, it's, it's a community, you know, sort of in and of itself. It's, it's got a whole different set of systems. Um, children, you maybe drop them off or set them out on the bus, and they could be there for majority of their waking hours if they're young children. And so it's, it's a very big deal, I think, um, for students to feel like they're, they feel, you know, feel safe and prepared when they go to school. They know the systems. They know the big the, players and how to navigate that that world that maybe it might take a while to figure out on your own so if if they could be coached and prepared for that just the way they're prepared with their supplies and new uniform um i think that's that would be you know super super helpful and comforting for students um and the first thing that i think um is really would be really really helpful is for parents and children to sort of sit down together and proactively come up with, with a safe adult in the school who 
if, especially if it, the child's new to the school and maybe doesn't know who everybody is. Um, but even for a child who's returning just to the next grade, let's say, and knows a lot of the players in, in school, a lot of the administrators or teachers or principals, to discuss who do they feel might be a safe adult for them, somebody who is there maybe all of five days if, if possible at the school, um, so not a specialty teacher who comes in once a week, but somebody who is there, who's available, who they feel safe and they could trust and they could approach so that anything that happens, uh, let's say at the beginning of the, of the school day, uh, rather than a child having to kind of just keep that in or hold on to whatever feelings come up or a situation that comes up or struggle until the end of the day when they see their parents again, it could be really, really, really beneficial. Um, choosing an adult, who, knowing where to access, how to access them um, and who that could be for the child. It could be one, one of the teachers, an assistant teacher, the school social worker, maybe it's a principal, and, and it should be a discussion so that the child has some preferences um, about who they feel more comfortable speaking to. That, that could be very telling and should be you know, sort of listened to as well. So yeah. I think that having a a safe adult that designated for the child to turn to for whatever may occur um, while at school is, is, is a good uh, safe yeah. tool to have. Yeah, I know I tell my son to usually if there's something wrong, he should go to his teacher, but it's not always the teacher in the classroom that a child prefers to, you know, disclose information to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Right. I mean, right. you know, especially if a child has been in school for a number of years, and then maybe there's a coach, or maybe there's somebody else, or maybe there's somebody else that they just, you know, um, feel a closer connection to, or feel more, you know, better able to communicate or express themselves to. Right. Right. And the key is that it's someone they feel safe with, even if, even if it's uh, the, the lunch lady. I, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, it's. It's it's really valuable to have somebody they could turn to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like to think it's the social worker at the school. <laughs> but it, it could be a different, a different adult for different children. And, and um, it's, it's just important to have somebody and for them to know who that person is for them mm -hmm. and that they can go to, and that they're, they'll be available and receptive, all that. Yeah. Right, that they'll that they'll be listened to, and 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 that they can say whatever they need to say, mm -hmm. um, in a in a, a safe environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you were you had spoken a little bit about you know if you're new to a school, and I can I can imagine that that in and of itself is pretty mm. um, pretty nerve wracking. Um, what you know. What would you say would be helpful um, to addressing the kind of anxiety that comes from, you know, entering sort of school, a school for the first time? Right. Yeah. That's that's definitely very, very challenging. And it, it, as much as possible, if the child can be prepared um, for that new school, maybe before the previous school year ended, they got to spend a day or two in the school getting acclimated to the setting and meeting some of the students if, um, if it's not possible, maybe the decision was made in the summer or the move happened in the summer, if, it's, if the parents could help work together with the school and facilitate maybe a, a little welcome 
welcome to the community party. Um, maybe they'll have a little party before the school year begins where the new classmates are invited and the student gets a chance to introduce herself and, and meet in a fun, enjoyable way. Um, that could be very, very helpful mm -hmm. um, for the student if that's practical. Um, mm -hmm. I know some students will try to find out where a lot of the classmates are going to camp in the summer and enroll their child in that camp so that even if the school setting is still going to be new, at least the peers maybe you know, are not going to be. And it's so much more comfortable to go to a new setting when you, there are some people you know as adults. Yeah. You know, we still prefer to go somewhere where we know we'll see familiar faces. So having the same way we want them to have a safe adult they know they could turn to in the school, having a friendly face, a, a peer that they could be introduced to and befriended maybe before the school year begins. That really helps things along. And, and in the event that none of that occurs and the, the move happens, the switch to the new school happens pretty close to the school year, um, hopefully the teachers and the social worker and the principals, they're aware of, the, of who might be new and, and how that might be extra challenging. And, and I know that we'll look out for that student, check in on them, try to have them seated next to a particularly friendly um, mm -hmm. social peer, um, ask them how, it, you know, how, how they're finding the, the new school and finding their way around if they have any concerns or questions. Um, so at least, at the very least, while they're already in that new situation, there are people there to help facilitate that, that transition happen more smoothly um, yeah absolutely that I could think of yeah and, and sending sending if, if it's possible sending a child um, to camp with some of the some of the students from the school I think is also a great idea if, if you can do mm -hmm. it then they can mm -hmm. meet them that way and in a more carefree yeah. sort of uh, setting yeah right so absolutely. so in terms of you know generally speaking what what are some what are some um, um, Good, good things that that you know are are going to help to facilitate you know kids in their learning and in their their um, you know um, success in school in general you know socially and otherwise. Yeah, um, I'm actually I'm very happy that you said socially and otherwise <laughs> because <laughs> I do work in a girls' school and. So I, I speak from that perspective, and I'm, I, I feel pretty confident that this exists in boys' school as well from boy, students that I work with in my private practice and other contexts. Um, if, a, if a child is, is struggling socially, emotionally in school, it's very hard to be aiming academically. It, it, just, it just is. It's very hard for a child to be have to be focused and and enthusiastic about learning and receptive to learning if they're really not in such a good place emotionally and, and socially. And it's just humans are social beings and children, especially at certain ages, the most important thing is fitting in, mm -hmm. is feeling like they're liked and they're wanted and they're part of the group. And so it's really, really, really important and super helpful for parents to also, parents and you know, school, but I guess we're speaking more to the parents, um, being able to help facilitate the social-emotional learning and social-emotional skills that are really important for the child's success, not just 
in, in academics, but also in life, to feel, you know, confident in their ability to, to succeed, it, it's, it's really helpful um, to have social-emotional skills. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and what that means, is, so there's, there are many things. So under social-emotional skills, we, I think of, you know, sort of all the things that are under emotional intelligence or EQ, for sure, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence is things like um, self-awareness, ability to self-regulate, to be self-motivated, to have empathy, to have social skills, all of those really, really, really important um, skills to have for, for life. Um, so whatever a parent can do to help a child make and maintain good friendships, you know, not having, it's not more the merrier. It's, it's good quality friendships and what that looks like for student, a child who maybe isn't sure um, how to express themselves in an appropriate way, how they could um, learn to gain confidence, make appropriate decisions. Um, and one of those appropriate decisions would be how to resist negative influences that come up. So all of those really important life lessons are also very pertinent in, in a school setting. Um, and, and oftentimes this needs to be discussed first and taught first. And I think that for so long, maybe people felt like you just, just get it. You know, kids just pick up on it at home and pick up on it in school and they just should get these things. But not everybody does. Not everybody just gets it so easily. Um, yeah, and it, I think it, also some kids are coming from situations where what's being modeled is not necessarily what what could potentially be a helpful way for them to navigate, you know, right. their sort of social spheres. Right, right, absolutely. Not pointing fingers at anybody, yeah. or any, but the modeling's not always there. Um, it's not always available. Um, not everyone knows intuitively how to validate feelings. Um, you know, even let's say, for example, if a child is, is in the wrong, and but is, is expressing a lot of emotion and is, is really, you know, having a hard time being in that situation where they're at, at, at fault or wrong and being able to have a conversation and validate their feelings and that the feelings that they're having are uncomfortable. But valid means that it's still okay to have these feelings. It's still human to have these feelings and it's healthy to have these feelings. So if a child is, um, let's say, very angry that, that the parents aren't letting them have ice cream for dinner, you know, when they're just throwing a, a tantrum, it's not acceptable behavior, and a parent has every right to also just say, you're, you're going to have consequence for this misbehavior. That, that's very valid, too, but it's also very helpful to say, I, you know, I see that you're very angry. I, I can understand your anger when you want to be eating something else for dinner, and, and it's frustrating, I know, and then still, you know, you still have to listen to the parent, and they still can't eat ice cream for dinner, but that models that it's okay to have all sorts of feelings. And I'll tell this to all the students who I work with, we have a feelings chart and they could identify which facial expression, which feeling they, um, they're feeling at that time and they could give a number of them. And there's even a blank face that they could fill in if they feel like the feeling word that they are experiencing isn't there. And we speak about 
the uncomfortable feeling words and the comfortable feeling words. Not bad feelings and good feelings, mm-hmm. wrong feelings and right feelings, because they're all human feelings. And at times it's a valid and appropriate feeling to have. And, and the, just this, the face on these children when, when they're told that, and it's like, really? Like, I'm allowed? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's this whole new world. Yeah, well, and, I, and I've, I've mentioned this to you where I'm doing similar work with adults sometimes. And, um, you know, sometimes they look at me and they're like, I don't know why I don't know this. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I said to them, well, it's, this is not a class in school. I'm so happy to hear that this work is being done more now with kids, but, you know, mm-hmm. certainly, definitely not with the adults that I'm working with now. Yeah. Um, they certainly did not have any sort of education in um, – in their own sort of, in any kind of emotional language or, you know, right. um, you know, helpful communication skills or conflict resolution or, right. Um, right. you know, some, some people struggle even to identify their own feelings, right? And you're right, we, yes. we think that people will just do this intuitively, but sometimes um, they don't. And also sometimes, you know, the, the circumstances, um, of what is going on around them doesn't doesn't allow them or enable them to be able to do that or to feel like it's okay, right, as you said, like to be Absolutely. able to say, hey, I'm having, you know, an uncomfortable feeling, and that's okay. It's okay for me. I'm a human being with, with right. lots of different feelings, and, and so all of these feelings are, are okay to have at one point or another. Right, right, and that self-awareness, it, it, it helps then be able to go on to the next stage of, of self-regulation, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. that's so, it's such a key component, and we're expecting children and adults to self-regulate when they're feeling a heightened emotion or feeling a little out of, out of control or inappropriate for that setting. But how to self-regulate if we don't even know what we're experiencing and how to make sense of what we're experiencing. So, yeah, it's so, so, so important. Um, absolutely. So being responsive to children's emotions and their behaviors, you know, pause positive behaviors and then also positive behaviors, sort of trying to weed out, like, what need is a, chi- is a child trying to have felt? Mm-hmm. It might, what they're tantruming about or crying about, it might not be what their need, what they're really, that might just be the, what we call the manifest um, content as opposed to the latent content. Like, what's really behind this means? What are they really, maybe their need to be, that they need filled is to be heard and validated and empathized with. Like, you know, and that, that does it. And they never got their ice cream for dinner and they stopped crying because they, they were, their need was filled. It, it was really about something else. So, yeah, I think that's being able to validate feelings and learning the concept of validating feelings, even if they're uncomfortable for the child and for the parent as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I think, I think adults, you know, also, as I said, I think that this is tough for us too. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the, the earlier, the sooner we, we learn um, about our emotions, you know, I think the, the better off ultimately we can be. Um, because I think that we all have trouble at times expressing our needs. Um, right. And, and then it comes out in other ways, you know. So this is not just, you know, it's not just in kids. It's adults too, and, and we have far more language than they do. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another, another example that comes to mind of something that parents can do to help facilitate their 
child's emotional and social skills. Um, so you hear this often. I'm sure you've experienced this. Um, parents ask their child at the end of the day, they're so excited to catch up and hear about their, their day and what they learned and what they ate and what happened. And you ask them, oh, how was your day? Good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, good. What what do you mean? Like what that that's not what I I want to hear things. Right, and I think that even being being in the practice of asking more open-ended questions. This isn't a matter of like a practical what do you want for dinner this or that, which is great. Also if you give your child choices, those are choices that you're comfortable with <laughs> and gives the child a sense of like oh, I get asked my opinions and I have choice. Like it just makes children just feel valid and, and heard. And I think that's also really helpful. But in general, when it's a conversation, when you want to elicit more than a one-word response, it's also helpful when parents could ask questions that are a little bit more open-ended. Like, um, can you tell me about your day? Can you, I, I like to ask, you know, children to ask, to, to answer, what was something really special about your day and something that really wasn't so great about your day. Also, to sh- sort of show that your day is a series of ups and downs, and that's normal. That's healthy. Your feelings might have had ups. You might have had ups and downs, and that's okay too. And that that's normal. And that you don't only want to hear if it's a good report, and otherwise you're too overwhelmed to hear it. But that you yeah. could hear both, and that that could be really helpful for a parent to ask those sort of open-ended questions that elicit real responses um, and continue the, you know, and it continues into a conversation maybe. And then when the child shares about something that happened that they weren't happy about or they, they, you know, they're complaining about something, let's say, that could also be another learning, uh, another opportunity for a learning experience and ask, well, what would you do differently if you could, dot, 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 or what would you have wanted your friend to have done differently in that situation? And that's, that's a, learning um, opportunity right there that mm-hmm. that's, that's a platform for for that kind of um, conversation. And you never know, the next opportunity that arises that's similar, your child might actually practice that that hypothetical that you rehearsed with them. So yeah. th- those sort of modeling skills um, can be can be very, very helpful. Um, I also I, I find that there's you have to know where to look, but there's so much online. There are so many books that you could you could buy books that are about I don't know whatever the the latest craze is for children at that age at that time, and and that's what they read for bedtime stories. Or there are so many books about different social emotional lessons on on friendships and. Mm-hmm honesty, on kindness, on so many wonderful, important topics. And that could be the sort of books that are read at home, bedtime stories and conversations that could arise from it. Um, movies that, that families watch, if they watch movies as a family, could have lessons and discussions that, that arise from it. I, I, I always tell the children, children who I play with, um, even just a regular game, uh, a matching game or whatnot. After a certain age, I'm like, I'm not going to play easy on you. If I win, you're, you're, you know, even if I'm a grown-up and you're a child, if I win, you're going you're gonna to have to be cool with that. And I'll, I'll start off the game with that because really what are we teaching our child if we, if we 
cheat, let them cheat or, or let them always win to, to make them feel good in the moment. Not very right. good sportsmanship. Right. Not very good and, and not very confident either because it's, I'm not winning because I'm good. I'm winning because I'm the child here. You know, right. this is my well, right of passage playing with the ground. <laughs> well, and one of the things that, I, that I've heard that I think is very interesting, just kind of going back to what you had also been saying about just, you know, sort of these open-ended questions. Um, one, of, one of the questions that I heard, you know, that I, that I really actually really like the idea of asking your child, well, how did you fail today? Um, and I feel like the reason that I like that question is because, you know, I think that we sometimes feel like we have to be perfect and, you know, we're always going for the, you know, you're, you're in school and you're going for that A, you're going for 100, you're going, right? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's almost, you know, uh, we develop this sense of, like, it's not okay to ever make a mistake or do something wrong or fail at anything, you know. But I think mm-hmm. that that question mm-hmm. really, you know, um, you know, it, it can strengthen us because we can see that, you know, in spite of sometimes our failures, we still succeed or we get back up. Um, right. after that, um, right. you know. Right, right. And, and teachers hopefully also are saying, we want to just see that you're doing your best, not Elaine's best, not George's best, your best. Um, and that, that could look different for different children, different students. Different, yeah. Um, you know, capabilities and, and strengths. So, yeah, it's really important that each child feels like they they shine in their own way, and that they're seen for who they who they are, and and not just expected to be, yeah, like perfect all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just I I would I worry about discussing um, <laughs> children's school experience and preparing parents for the, their child's school year. Um, without discussing the topic of, of bullying. Unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. a real thing and it exists, and I don't want to yeah. frighten parents or, you know, make people extra anxious about this, but it's, it's unfortunately, it's a, it's a reality um, in schools. And hopefully every school is working, working on it and, and having anti-bullying policies and teaching about this. Um, but oftentimes, it, before a child even knows that they, they could even be before they even know that what they're doing is considered bullying, mm-hmm. they've they've done it. And so it's 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 really important that it's tackled from all angles. Um, well, could could you clarify because I think that you know kids don't always know what it is, and also I think that right. we talk a lot about bullying, um, right? And like this could be bullying, that could be bullying. You know, some right. things are more gray. What, what, what would you say would define Absolutely. bullying? Absolutely. And I think it's so important that it is really defined clearly because if you label everything bullying, it minimizes what bullying really could be and the horrible effects that it could have. If, if any act, unkind act is, oh, you're bullying my child, or, you know, it's kind of used very loosely from mm-hmm. what I see, and I think it's really important that it's, it's understood clearly. So, um, Strictly speaking, the definition is an unwanted aggressive behavior among, in in this case, it's among children, and it's involving a power imbalance. So even if it's only a perceived power imbalance, and we'll we'll speak a little bit about about that, um, 
And bullying can be overt or covert. It could be kind of under the surface, and it could be much more clear and and um, pervasive seeming. And it's always intentional. Um, a child who is a little rough around the edges and, and isn't so great with their spatial awareness and they bump into kids a lot and knock them over, that, that's not intentional. They're not a bully. You know, let's right. clarify what that is. So the perceived power differentiation could be that it's just in sheer number, that there are two or three children engaging in this, in this against one, and that's already bullying because of the power imbalance of the number there. It could be age, that there's a significant age. Not talking about, again, within the same grade, one student's on the older spectrum in that class than the other. It, it's like there's a significant age imbalance as well. Maybe it's a child from an older grade. It could be size, if, if there's just a much stronger, taller child and, uh, you know, and they're asserting their power over a much smaller child. And sometimes it could also be like a per, even position of power. Um, if this is happening, let's say it's at one, one child's house, she's having a sleepover party at her house. So she has the power, technically. It's her house and her protexia, her parents and her older siblings or whatever it is. So to make sure that that child knows that that position of power and they shouldn't assert that over other children, say, you don't do this, this, or that, um, whatever the percussion will be. So we'll get into, so it really also has, um, there are four different forms of bullying. There could be the classic um, physical bullying, mm -hmm. and that's using physical force to harm. Um, it doesn't mean that the child is being beaten with an inch of their life, God forbid. It could really be hitting, pinching, tripping, shoving, just using physical force, even if they think it's, eh, we're just roughing around. It, 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 if it's intentional and there's this power differentiation and it is, it, it's, you know, this is not a one-time thing. It's it definitely, it's, it's defined by something more um, persistent or pervasive. That would be physical bullying. Um, verbal bullying could include name-calling, um, insults, teasing, intimidating, threatening, um, you know, that, that, that could get very, very tricky also. There might be some gray area there, and it's, it's important to kind of get all the details and all the facts straight. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's, there's sometimes there's social bullying. Um, I, see, I see this already, ha this happens with a little bit of older grades, where uh, somebody, a, a student, a child might start spreading lies or rumors about another student or playing nasty pranks or trying, generally, it's, I see this more than, often than others, it's the encouraging others to exclude someone or to not be that girl's friend, maybe because of their own insecurities and hoping to be the one who's most popular. So in order to build themselves up, they'll try to get students to um, exclude another student, so that, that could be social bullying by saying, if you're friends with this girl, we're not going to include you in our party or whatever it is, that, that could be um, a form of social bullying. Mm -hmm. and, and now, you know, now the past decade, cyberbullying is more 
frightening than than ever you know and you see the effects that it has on children that's using social media or messaging to try to hurt or harass a student um, there are situations where a student something embarrassing video or picture or something of a student is is spread on social media it's it's pretty awful it's pretty awful um, all of all of these forms are could, could be really really damaging to a child and some of them are easier to pick up on than than others um, easier for the child or the adults in the child's life to see that there's something going on and and others could be much more insipid and and still very painful um, yeah, and yeah. I think that I think that something that worries me about cyberbullying in particular is, is you know, um, it, sometimes it's just you know there's no there's not really any way to know what's going on unless you're really heavily monitoring your kid's mm-hmm. phone, um, which I mean I think some parents do they do have parental settings and they can monitor their children um, pretty closely, but. Um, you know, there's there's something about that 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 feels, you know, very uncomfortable. Right, right, and and they're all they're they're all in their own ways. They're they're pretty uncomfortable. There's there's really you can't undo it. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's really no taking back that mass text that went out or that or those awful words that the those insults or name calling that that's been done you know there's there's no taking it back and and i think it's important for children to both be taught um you know no parent wants to know that their child is either the bully or the victim either pretty awful to to experience that and to make sure that the message is being given to children loud and clear that it is never okay to be bullied it's never okay to be a bully it's it's Mm -hmm. never okay there's never oh you know i guess in your circumstance, it makes sense because you need a you you needed to really uh, be I don't I don't know make sure that you don't get victimized so you had to be the bully. There's no there's no validating rationalizing um, being a bully mm-hmm. being bullied. So to tell your child also assure your child that it's never okay to be bullied and to normalize and make them feel more safe in the event that something's happening. Um, to feel safe coming to to the parent with that, um, they're often oftentimes they're children who don't they don't want to tell anybody. They're petrified to tell anybody, even their own parent. Um, it's it's sad, but for a number of reasons, it, it could really be they're they're threatened that it's mm-hmm. going to get worse, or they on their own feel like they're afraid they're going it's going to get worse, and they're afraid of retaliation, or they might be afraid of their parent's reaction. Maybe the parent's own fear or sadness or anxiety of hearing this news and they're trying to protect their parent at times um, from from being in the loop. So there are a number of reasons why a child might um, might not come forth with this information to the, even, you know, a parent or the trusted adult in their life. They might also feel like they, they're partially to blame. Maybe somehow they're convinced that they're somehow at fault for this. If they look different or acted different or better at sports or whatever it is that maybe it wouldn't be happening to them. So they're somehow responsible. And it's, it's pretty awful 
um, when it's happening as it is and then when a child doesn't feel safe or comfortable um, saying that this is happening to them. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some signs, I guess, we could, I don't know if we have time to get into some signs to look out for um, sure, and yeah. some helpful tips for parents, um, what they can do when they first. So um, before a child shares anything, if you could kind of have your finger on the pulse of, of is there any change going on in, in the child, anything that sort of little red flag, is your child asking to stay home from school very, you know, frequently? Um, are there changes, significant changes in, the eat- in your child's eating or sleeping pattern? Does your child complain of feeling ill in the morning when they have to leave for school? Um, are there frequent tears or bouts of anger that just sort of spontaneously occur? Is the child becoming withdrawn? Um, maybe the child is, is asserting their own power or, or acting like a bully to their own siblings or younger cousins or something like that that seems out of character for them. Um, are there any mood swings that, that are noticed? Um, is a child very fearful or jumpy? Uh, something else also is if they're like prized belongings or money, let's say, is disappearing. Um, what to find out like what's what's that all about? You know, I've noticed that your favorite toys aren't in your room anymore and what so, so these are these all could be um, telltale signs that, that something's going on at maybe a child being bullied somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it, if you could facilitate a conversation with a child and, and get them to feel comfortable speaking. Sometimes that might happen from if you, you're getting this hunch and it just feels like something's going on, parents not sure, and they don't want to push the child and, and push, the, push it too much. Sometimes reading a book together or watching a movie together under this kind of theme and asking, like, what do you think the, chi- the, the child who's being victimized could, could do or do you know anybody who has this happened to them do you ever witness this and sometimes when it's removed when it, the conversation is about a third party it, it, it comes up more naturally and just it's a little easier for a child they might hypothetically start talking about their friend and 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 that might lead to them sharing about something that's happening to themselves so that could be a, a helpful way of sort of Gather, you know, gathering information and, and having a child open up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also really, really super, super important. I would say, like, one of the most helpful things a parent can do in that situation, and it's so, so challenging as parents who heart, you know, jumping out of our chests, is to really try to not show any heightened emotion that can possibly frighten the child and make the child, you know, kind of hide, go back into their shell. Mm. Um, being able to listen whenever possible, being able to listen without interrupting, showing empathy, um, but without showing signs of extreme distress or anger or anxiety. It's it sort of keep hiding that from the child. Um, maybe so you'll show that later. calm. 
you know. Right. So just remain calm while you're having this. Con- try to remain calm while you're having this conversation right. for, their, for their sake. Right. Right. You know, you can go to your spouse or your therapist or friend <laughs> after and let it all out. But for a child to see that my parent could handle this, they could they could carry this for me. They got this. Yeah. I'm safe now because they're going to take care of it and not freak out and, 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 and cry and yell and, you know, things that could just really brand the child further. Um, so to be able to remain as calm as possible and, again, validate the child's feelings, of course, that it is so normal to feel hurt or angry or embarrassed even to talk about this, this, this uncomfortable situation that's been going on and then how brave they are that they shared it with you and how good it, how good it is that that they share that with you and now you can you can help them and by help by helping get you know dealing with this bully you're helping other children who could be bullied and that really empowers the child and builds up just their confidence that not I'm not a tattletale who's who whatever the message they've been in, in internalizing from the bully I'm a tattleteller who runs to mommy I'm a, I'm a upstander who's standing up for myself and other and other children who might be a victim to this bully and and reframing it in that way and normalizing their experience. Um, unfortunately, you know it's not there's not one in, once in a blue moon that a child is targeted and it doesn't mean that there's something crazy or abnormal about a child if that happens. It's unfortunately something that shouldn't happen and but does happen. Um, more often than it should happen, and 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 that also takes away that stigma from the child. I'm a I'm, I'm a victim. I'm a wimp. I'm somebody that people bully. It's it's not about the. It's it, there's nothing wrong with the child's character or person. Um, it's yeah, about I, the bully. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. That's 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 very helpful. And I think that you know anytime you can. Um, empower a child, in particular in a situation where they feel very unempowered, you know, mm-hmm. it, can, it can really sort of turn the tides for them as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to gather as much information as possible without asking leading questions, just even if, if need be, jotting things down to like, let me just make sure I have my facts straight. I want to I wanna make sure that I'm I'm understanding how long or how frequently or how many different ways this was playing out and to get all the facts straight. It could be that once the first word that indicates there's bullying going on, you could be ready to run straight to the authorities with it. But to gather as much information as possible at that conversation, child probably prefers to share it with the parents and with others. Mm -hmm. So to gather all of that and as much as the instinct might be to get on the phone and call up this bully, this mean bully child and or mean bully child's parents and really give it to them and really, you know, just jump into mama beer mode. It's, I think it's really also very helpful to go to school with, with this. This is something that's taking place in school. The school needs to know. The school needs to be involved. They need to have, hopefully they have policies, um, and protocols in place, let the school be involved in, in mediating. And it doesn't mean that once you go to the school, now you just trust that they're dealing with it properly and 
and you're not, you know, and we're taking that away from the parent, parents should for sure stay involved and advocate for the child and make sure that there's, it's really being followed through on. But uh, it's important, I think, to go to the school and not take matters into um, parents' hands and deal with it necessarily um, directly mm-hmm. to the said bully or, or bully's parents. Um, don't assume the school already knows. If need be, go in person um, and then ask for follow-through, ask for updates, maybe a meeting if this is something that, you, you know, you want the school to meet it. You want to know that they're taking appropriate measures. So say that you want to be part of that, that meeting, um, mm-hmm. let's say with the bully and the bully's parents or, or whatever it is. So advocating that it's being dealt with appropriately but also including the school I think is is um, an important piece. If, if the school doesn't know, they can't be on the lookout. Um, right, as they, you say, every, it's, if it's yeah. happening in school, right, you want them, you yeah. want them to, to be aware of it and, and be on the lookout right. for it. Right, yeah. yeah. And I think also some people will, will say to their child, you know, you have to fight back. You have to fight back, be stronger than the bully, show the bully that they can't mess with you. And I don't know that that's the most helpful, um, I don't know that that's always, that's the most helpful advice. I think a child could take that to mean that they could get violent back and then it could just escalate and maybe instead of the bully being treated and taken care of as a bully, it could be seen as Two kids squabbling, two kids getting physical with each other or nasty to each other, and it, it, it will diffuse from the bullying that was taking place and needs to be addressed properly if mm-hmm. now it becomes, you know, two to tango, so to speak. So I think it's really, it, it's much more helpful to teach a child how to avoid the bully, um, try not to react, try not to show a reaction to them, be able to firmly say, stop you know, and walk away from them and not be meek or, or I don't mean avoid as in like hide away from them, but just try to avoid them and ignore and don't show a reaction. The reaction is I think what bullies looking for. It, that gives them power. That gives them a feeling of I have control over um, someone else and, and being able to surround themselves with friends friends who are supportive of them, who could stand up for them, um, knowing to go to an adult, even if the bully says, you're tattletale or flesh and hara or my parents on the board. I hear that one at school all the time. You can't get me in trouble. My parents on the board. It's important for I always uh, reality check these, the students and see if it doesn't <laughs> that doesn't absolve a child from being able to get in trouble if, they, if that's necessary. And mm-hmm. um, that's just another way that bullies assert their power or their perceived power. Um, and students believe them. And they say, I can't, I can't get in, I can't, I'll get in trouble if I tell them this, on this bully. And, and we try to set the record straight and go into classrooms, teach them, teach them what it is, what this means. And let students who don't believe that they're a bully hear these examples and hear how, um, well, does this does this sound at all like anyone here and for themselves to sort of have that? that right, they don't have to of. raise they don't have to raise their hand, but you know that something <laughs> should register <laughs> that it, something should register it, that maybe this is not the way 
yeah. that, you know, I yeah. should be um, behaving yeah. with my classmates. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little funny, um, it's a little humorous, but a child came to me after I gave a class on, on bullying, um, and she came to me, like, really nervous and very serious, and she says, um, if I have a twin... And we're and we're like always like together, or we're like always have each other's backs. And one of us are in a fight with a friend. Does that mean that we're police? And she was, she was. It was a good question. There's two of them. They have, there's there's power in number. And but the children sometimes they just need to they just need to hear. They just need to learn. They need they need things spelled out for them. This is learning for them. They need to know that oh this is this word bullying. This is what it actually means. Um, and this is what it doesn't mean. And it doesn't mean just plain old un- being unkind or acting mean or not being a good friend. Or Sometimes a child could exclude another child, and it's not nice, but it's not necessarily bullying. It's, it doesn't, you know, fitting all those criteria. So I think it's, it's, it's also just very helpful for children themselves, for their parents, you know, what is and what isn't bullying, what actually helps de-escalate, you know, the mm-hmm. bullying and what might actually escalate and just maybe even teach a child, oh, so if I'm peaceful, that makes me a wimp. If I fight back and I get more aggressive, then I'm not a wimp. So maybe I should join the bullied side. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not helpful to pass on the messages of um, you have to be stronger, you have to fight back. You know, it, that, I think that it's, it's, a, it's just another long, long lesson that children have to have, students have to have in learning how to become social beings in this social, this, you know, social setting at a school and all the different rules about um, how to play nice. And, and by joining, joining with a bully, um, it doesn't, that doesn't help that lesson. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad to hear that, you know, you and um, your colleagues are, you know, talking to kids about this stuff, teaching them about this stuff, teaching them about, you know, emotional social learning. Um, you know, we thank you for the good work that you're, that you're putting in with, um, with the kids in these schools. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's super important. It really, really is um, just as important as, as, you know, the classes that they're taking, you know, is to understand this is, you know, this is how we navigate in the world, right? This is how we kind of get, you know, um, how, how we communicate with people or how we resolve our conflict or how we deal with things mm-hmm. or how, you know. And so I think that all of that is, is just so, so important. And so I thank you so much for, for coming on and 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 talking about your experiences and, and giving us all of your insights and um, all of this really helpful information. I appreciate it, Lucia. Thank you. Thank you, Javier. It's my pleasure. Um, yes, thank you for the opportunity to discuss these topics that I feel very uh, passionate about. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on. And, and um, I always just um, end, end with sort of providing people with a referral source. So if, you know, your child is struggling um, 
and you know you're not sure what to do or you feel like they would benefit from any sort of therapy, um, relief.org is an organization that can set you up with a therapist. Um, their phone number is 718-431-9501. Again, that's 718-431-9501. And, um, and yeah, thank you again so much for being on tonight. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful night. All right, good night. Good night, everyone.